Well, it's good to be uh, back preaching with you today. Um, uh, um, I got to, when I was up in Michigan, uh, drove over to Jackson, Michigan to see my good friend Dave McDonald, who runs a, a chapter house. It's a, it's a training center for pastors and Christian leaders. And it's great to see him while I was up there and catch up with him. Uh, the last few weeks, about a month ago, he put out a new book called Heirs of Eden that really got me thinking uh, again about uh, creation. And uh, I find the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I look at Genesis and Revelation. Okay, the more I look at the very beginning of the story and the very end of the story. Now, now I look a lot at Jesus, obviously, in the middle. But... But the Revelation, it kind of shows you where the story is headed. And Genesis really shows you how the story starts and how the story, uh, what the, where the story came from. Genesis is really sort of human, humanity's origin story. And origin stories are important. If you're interested in somebody, like if you're interested in the Beatles, you want to read about how the Beatles came together. What was their childhood like and what brought the Beatles together? What made Abraham Lincoln the person that he was? What was his childhood like? In, uh, in comic books and comic book movies, this is especially important. If you don't know how Spider-Man became Spider-Man, you can't understand the character arc of who Spider-Man is and what makes Spider-Man tick. Your origin story is important. And I think Genesis is our origin story. And when we open Genesis, very often we get sidetracked with all kinds of questions. Questions like, is it a literal six-day uh, creation. What about evolution? Is this the actual happen? How old is the earth? Uh, is there a real Adam and Eve? Or is this a metaphoric story? And if I'm to be perfectly honest with you all, I have never found most of those questions very interesting in my entire life. I just have never. And actually, I look at Revelation very similarly. When, when people talk about Revelation, they want to say, well, how's it going to happen? And what's the steps? And how, do we, how literal do we read this? And what are the seals? And all of this. And I'm really not that interested in those questions either. In fact, I think they distract from the larger purpose, which is to show the origin story and the finale of humanity. And so what we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to do just that. Today I'm going to look at the origin story of humanity in the Bible. Next week I'm going to look at the finale of the story at the end of Revelation in the Bible and talk about what it means to be human in light of those stories and what the Jesus story means if we take those two stories seriously. So, I'm going to be reading from some of these passages, although I'm actually kind of referring to really the first four or five chapters of Genesis. So you're going to have to read it on your own uh, later. But I'm going to pick up on some verses here or there. Uh, but let's dive in then. In the beginning, we are told, God made the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, and void. That description is actually really important for the rest of the story. Formless and void. It's kind of an interesting description to say that there was an earth, but it was formless and void. Okay? So what does it mean? Formless. It had no structure. The world had no structure. There was nothing to it. And it was void. It was empty. Now why is that important? It's important because the whole creation story is about God reversing the formlessness and the void of creation. What he's going to do is he's going to form it and then fill it. Okay, he's going to form the formlessness and then he's going to fill the void with something. Okay, order and fill. Forms and fills. Let's look at this pattern on the second day of creation and the fifth day of creation. So let me read Genesis 1, 6 through 8. 
And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So, so in the ancient world, they believed that the world was water. Okay? And that, that the, the, the world was sort of a disk lived on this water. And that there was also water in the sky because they didn't have telescopes. So they thought there was some kind of dome that held that water up. And so here's what the creation story says. There was water everywhere. It was all just a jumbled mess of water. When God turned the light on, then it's just water everywhere. And so what does God do? He orders the water. He says, okay, you're going to be seas and oceans. You're going to be water. And okay, you up there, you're going to be sky. And we're going to separate. We're going to order. Okay, so remember, creation was formless. Day two, God gives the waters form. Now, listen to day five. Okay, because the days are connected. This is Genesis 1, starting in verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens so god created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and god saw that it was good god blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth there was evening and there was morning the fifth day so did you see what God did? Day two, he had created the waters and separated the waters. But what does he do on day five? He fills it. And then he calls it good. It's not good until he fills it. Everybody catch that? Okay, and if you follow the Genesis pattern, it actually does this every day. Day one, he creates uh, the light and the darkness. Okay, if you look at day four, he fills that with stars, the sun, the moon. Okay, he's going to build, he does the land separates the land from the waters on day three. On day six, he fills the land, and he calls it what? Good. Okay, because he's ordering and filling. Everybody see the pattern? Order, fill, order, fill. And then interestingly enough, what are the creatures supposed to do? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, keep filling. Okay, keep filling the world. Keep having more birds. Keep having more fish. So God orders and God fills. And what does God think of his creation? It is good that means good the word good here means good in value in other words it's not evil it's not bad it's filled up to god's plans and purposes god's intentions for it and and uh, we sh and then what does god do on the seventh day he rests he rests he takes a break now a couple of important things to note in the story in our origin story one is that good is not perfect I don't know if you, how you did in school. I got some goods on my papers. But it was really good when I got an outstanding or a perfect. Okay? Good just means it was good. Perfect means it's really everything it was supposed to. So when God makes it good, actually when he gets done with creation, he says it's very good. But he's not done yet. And we know he's not done yet because he rests. I don't know if you've ever taken a rest or a break in the middle of a project. But normally you go back to the project. Right? If you're working in the garden and you go rest, that means you're coming back to the project. Which means if God takes a break on his creation that's good, if he rests, what does that mean? He's going to come back to the project. And he's going to continue creating. This is important. Because that means God doesn't create everything perfect. 
He doesn't give Adam and Eve this garden that's amazing with everything in good rows, right? He gives them kind of a wild garden. He gives them kind of the outline of a garden, and what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to continue working the land. See, that's the difference. God's going to continue creating. He's going to continue working in the world, but instead of doing it with his voice, what's he going to do? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and every, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And there's so much to unpack in this section. Number one, humanity is made in the image of likeness of God. We often read that and think we look like God, but what does God look like? And which of us looks more like God? That's the real question, right? No, we're not made in the image and likeness of God. The likeness doesn't mean we look like God, everybody. That's really important. God doesn't look like us until he becomes flesh in Jesus. No, we are made in the likeness of God because we are created to create like God. Okay, in fact, what does God do? He orders and he fills. He takes the formless and the void and he orders it and he fills it. And what is Adam and Eve supposed to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Did everybody catch that? God actually issues for humanity the work that he's been doing. Hey, keep ordering, keep subduing, keep filling this world. So God continues to create, but how does he create now? He creates through humanity. You were meant to be fruitful, to multiply, to be creative in this world. In fact, God handcrafted us for this. This is a, one of the amazing parts of the text, right? All the other living things God makes with his voice. But when he goes to make Adam, he's like, let me play in the dirt a little bit here. Okay, I'm going to make this creature, and this creature is not going to come from my voice. This creature is actually going to come from the earth. And then when he goes to make Eve, see, it's not, Adam can't do this by himself. When he goes to make Eve, God again handcrafts her from Adam's side. You were made. You were handcrafted to be creative in this world, to continue God's work of creation, to take care of this world, to, to form it, to order it, to fill it. That doesn't mean we can abuse creation. It's ours to use. No, we, we've got to actually answer to God for how we deal with creation. It, heck, we were made from it. We came from the earth. And now we get to have the awesome responsibility of caring for what God has. And God has plans and purposes for that thing. Remember, God made it good. But we're going to look at the finale story next week, and God intends for it to go somewhere. He intends for this, this craziness to turn into a garden. He intends for this crazy world to turn into a city of human flourishing. Right? God has plans and purposes for the world that he intends for us to do. Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like, Think about that for a moment. I mean, really consider this. That God has things 
he wants you to do in this world. He has creative acts of, of ordering, of filling. Right? He, he has good works that He wants you to do. And He calls you to be a part of making this good world into a perfect world. That we are co-creators with God. And God doesn't leave us all up at all up to us either, right? It's not good for us to be alone. We're supposed to be in community. Okay, we're supposed to have our family. We're supposed to have our church. We're supposed to have people around us that we are creating with. That is an awesome and truthfully scary prospect, isn't it? That God calls on you to create in this world. Why? Because if you keep following the origin story, it also gets broken. Okay? It also gets broken. Humanity fails. They break trust with God. And then there's a curse. And listen to the curse, everybody. To the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And listen to what he says to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So, there's a problem. There's a curse. And what's cursed? The very work that Adam and Eve are supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to order creation. Make gardens. Right? But there's labor. Right? There's thorns. There's stuff I don't want to do. Right? And, and we all know this. You, 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 want to, you get up and you don't want to go to work. You get up and you don't want to do the things you're supposed to do. Right? There's something wrong with our work. And there's pain in our labor. That means pain in childbirth. I would also say it might be a little bit of a pain to do child rearing, too. Okay? Like, that process is hard. The work is hard. Okay? Because the, what, what's cursed? What is cursed for Adam and Eve? It's the work that God has for them to do. The fulfillment that they're supposed to have in following God's will is broken. You were meant to create, to have babies, to work, to make gardens, to build things. And that is not, that is not average local work. That is godly work because when you do that work, you are made in the image and likeness and you are living into your likeness as a creator under the creator God. But now the work is broken. All right, I'm tired. My back hurts. Okay, there, there's just so much that gets broken in the work that we do. Now, maybe if we saw it as God's work, we might fight through and be full of a little more energy. Um, but but we, we often don't. We often don't. We also often go to work and we don't see our work as divine. Okay, we often spend time with our grandkids and we don't see it as a holy work. Okay? And, and the church has, has not done a good job with this in the American culture today. What we've tended to do in the church is call stuff that happens here ministry. Like, go to work, fine. Raise your kids, fine. But real ministry is when you're an usher. That's what really matters when session has you, you know, when session has arranged it, then you're a, then you're a, a, a minister. Right? And when you go to a foreign country, you're, then you're a missionary, not when you go to work. And look, we, we, like, we need ushers, right? We, we need those people. We need Sunday school teachers. We need all of that. But the, the lie is that, that ministry is what happens here and the rest of your life is not ministry. That's not your origin story, everybody. When you go to work, you are doing holy things. Okay? When you, and, and you can do so much more 
in your family life, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your job. You're going to be able to do so much more ministry than Pastor Jordan can ever do here at the church. Okay? That's your opportunity to actually, like, like we need ushers. But ushers can't do for the kingdom what you could do if you actually saw your work as work, as holy, as divine. Think about all the ways in which you order and fill. If you're an accountant, you've got all these numbers flying everywhere around the company. What do you do? You order it. Make a spreadsheet and you fill it. That's what, that's what God made you to do. You're a parts manager. You've got this whole, this whole factory of stuff and you've got to figure out where everything is. You're ordering and you're filling. You're a second grade teacher. What are you doing? You're trying to get all these second graders in order of some kind and trying to fill their minds. You're doing God's work as a second grade teacher. Whatever your job is, whatever your job is, you, you clean, whatever you do, you are doing God's work. You are doing work in the image of God. And I have news for everybody here. Okay, You can retire from your employment. You can't retire from the likeness and image of God. Okay, If you're retired, it means you got more time to, to create, to pursue creative work that actually, that, that you could focus on as God's will. See, you've got to see the work that you do as God's work. You've got to see the projects. When you are spending time with your grandkids or your nieces and nephews, it is a holy enterprise. How would you live your life differently if you saw the work, if you saw going out in the garden as tilling a little piece of Eden? That doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we're trying to earn God's love. We remember the middle of the story. We remember the crux. We remember that Jesus loved us. That you are loved and beloved no matter what you've done and what you will do. You're already died for. Okay? But what a shame. What a shame if we come to the end of our lives and God had things for us to do and we were too busy to do them. Or we were doing them, but we never saw them as God things. We thought they were our things. This is about living into who you are. Living into how you belong with God. And it's, it's one of my ambitions in my life is I want to live kind of without regret. I don't want to look back and say, I, I, I missed that. I didn't see that. God had that for me and I missed it. What are we lived into these lofty things that God, the creator, made you to create and that the things you create are important and valuable. And the big change for us as Christians is when we start not just seeing our work as God's work, but starting to actually cooperate with God in creative. In other words, here's the question. Like, you, you have your work that you're doing, but what would if you said, God, what work would you like me to be doing? What job would I take if I was really going to glorify you? What, where would you have me work? What would you have me build, create, work on, fix? What problems in this world would you have me attack? When we start co-creating with God, then, then... God starts ordering and filling our lives so that we can order and fill in the world. And that makes some work that seems impossible to us all of a sudden much more gettable. So what godly dreams do you have? What ambitions for creativity has God put in you? What have you always wanted to create, build, work on, tinker with, play around with? 
It will not be easy. The fall made sure of that. There will be toil in the labor. But what is God calling you to order and what is God calling you to fill? Dream big. Dream big. Keep going. You were handcrafted for this. You were knit together for this. And you are not alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.